And now it's that time of the week where we talk some unusual stories, some quirky stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And on the line I have Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Uh, now we start with a story of the Setsuna. This is a Toyota car of sorts, that they a concept car that they actually presented at the Milan Design Week. So it's not one of your traditional auto shows. Uh, and perhaps this is not a traditional car. It's made of wood. And it's, uh, it's got sort of a body with the wheels sticking out the side, almost like a racing car in a way. Yet it's uh, really something that almost goes back to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in its looks. Well, no, not so much. But more the boat. Is it something Toad of Toad Hall might have wanted? Uh, gentlemen, you've seen it. Are you impressed? Uh, my first impression was that it looks like a boat that they tacked wheels onto. It's yeah. even got the sort of um, uh, sort of old-fashioned sort of windows that sort of fold forward, you know, fold oh, yes. down forwards. Um, but um, it, it's an interesting idea. That I, I thought the 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 other thing they were trying to do is that they'll say it will last a hundred years. I wish these guys had to come and put my deck down. <laughs> <laughs> If it's going to last 100 years, I've got to tell you, I don't have much luck with decks. David, you get Japanese cedar and Japanese birch and uh, not a single nail or screw, then that's, that's, your deck would be still fine. Now, I, look, I love this thing. I think I, it's ridiculous, and, the, and a lot of the blurb in the um, press release is, is equally ridiculous, but it's such a beautiful-looking machine, and it just really shows you that wood is such a... A luxurious material in a in you know used in a high end outcome like this. Mm. They say, as you hinted at, Brian, there that they they put this together without nails or screws. It's along a a, a Japanese akun akun and system, which uh, doesn't need this. You know what it worries me about? It reminds me of those wooden puzzle cubes. You know those <laughs> blocks of wood that you. <laughs> Can't, you know, if you break them apart, it suddenly becomes very hard to put them back together again. Now, I think they've done this intentionally, and that means then that if you have this car, you have to take it back to the dealer to get it repaired. Yeah, or, right? a, or a good you, cabinet maker. Well, you see, yes. <laughs> it, it, it's got such a, a – it's put together so cleverly that only a dealer would know he'd have the right manual in order to be ah, able yes, to, to give to the service. To, to pull it apart and put it back together. You couldn't just take it down to the crystal car wash. You know, you'd say, look, in, look, I'll have the wash and a French polish, please. <laughs> <laughs> but look, one of the things I noticed in this uh, press release is this idea that, that uh, you know, it, it, the car will mature and the, the surfaces will get a patina and it will evolve together with you and... And it says, including when a car is handed down to the next generation. Now, where does that ever happen? I mean, mm. cars these days are not handed down. It's, it's you know, um, begrudgingly accepted, perhaps, the, the old second-hand car. But, but it's not a sort of Patek Philippe watch, is it, where, where you know, you're just, you don't own it, but you're holding it in trust for your children. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just not sure. As long as you keep away from white ants, I guess, if you've, if you've got termites in the area, you've got to get uh, the flick man in to do a service as well. Yeah, I don't think it's just do too well in Australia, actually, for that reason. But um, I was wondering, it's, it, they don't say that it's amphibious, but it certainly looks like it is. <laughs> it would float, wouldn't it? Well, there's a problem there. It will encourage people to drive across flooded rivers. Oh, yeah. Right. Boating across. 
fading across. Messing about in base. Now, how would it perform in a crash? I imagine there'd be a dangerous splinters, very big splinters. And in fact, even the idea, the idea of washing it or, or, you know, I've got to go out and sand down the car, um, you, you could get splinters doing that as well. But, but look, intriguing concept. I kind of I, I love it. Brian, I think you can get a, a splinter sitting in it because <laughs> the seats are solid wood. <laughs> they say, and this is part of the press release buzzwords, I think, that it does take uh, the seats take on a unique character and depth over time. Does that mean it, you wear it into the shape of your bum? <laughs> That's a fantastic idea. But I think I think it's appropriate that this is shown at the you know Milan Design Show because a, a lot like fashion, the fashion industry, it's. It looks amazing, but it's completely impractical in the real world. They drive it onto the stage, and the person driving has to look bored and you know indifferent, like any sort of model. <laughs> like a model, yeah. Get out and as if to look, you know, why the hell am I here? And at the end, the designer comes out from behind the curtain and waves. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, directions. Can you tell me about that? Oh, this is such an interesting story, David. Uh, if you go to China and try to use your sort of GPS-attached uh, phone to use sort of Google Maps and things like that, you may get quite a surprise. You may find yourself uh, uh, not standing where you think you are, but standing in the middle of a river or in the middle of a road because Chinese law makes independent map making a crime and that uh, they force Google in their um, mapping software to use an algorithm called Apply China Location Shift, which deliberately moves your actual location to prevent you from being able to know exactly where you are. So you and someone else may be standing next to each other looking at your phones. You might be shown as, as kilometres apart. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of ridiculous thing. Google actually... Uh, nicknames this algorithm evil transform um, <laughs> to reflect the kind of uh, bizarre paranoid approach that China's taking here and uh, yeah so some people who have been attempting to map or, or collect data in field trips have uh, been fined huge amounts of money for illegal map making activities well you see the thing is they're, they're concerned and now you can rest assured that if someone drops an atomic bomb, it might miss by 500 metres. <laughs> David, when I, I, years ago, I worked in the Middle East in Iran for a while, and uh, prior to the project, to going there for the project, the clients sent us maps so we could understand the study area, but they uh, carefully used a razor to cut out all of the, the industrial areas from the map so we wouldn't know that just exactly where the steelwork was and, and where the concrete batching plant was so uh yeah they sent us these maps with holes in them i guess so that we couldn't you know help the americans to to <laughs> target their bombs onto uh this particular cut out triangle on the map do they affect the f photographic things that when you take a photo with your phone it records the gps location does that get jammed but it yes. could, yeah yes yeah, anything anything position related so you can take a, a gps tagged photo and it will say that you're at a completely different monument, perhaps on the other side of the river. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of countries have tried to do this before. There's often been, uh, even the US and, and similar countries have wanted parts of the uh, satellite imagery to be blurred because there were 
you know sensitive things there. there, or at least have, uh, out of date. So in in the US, the um, you know Washington, you know um, bits of Washington uh, have very old imagery, so that it doesn't show all the, the the new security features and things like that. So instead of having an atomic site, it's got a picture of a drive-in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and a, even in Australia, the, apparently the Google Street View of the entrance to the lodge. Uh, in Canberra is, is, uh, is sort of blurred out. But, but the, I think the winner here is Malaysia, who rightly said that it will not ask Google to censor sensitive areas because that would identify the locations it deemed <laughs> to be sensitive. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> now they're thinking. <laughs> now, look, is it against the party principle then in China to give accurate directions from the side of the road? And, and and therefore ah, the thing okay. is to give bad, bad directions. directions. So you you go back to a person and say those directions you gave me were wrong. They say thank you, thank you very much. I'll tell <laughs> I'll tell the local committee. <laughs> I've maintained the security. Do you know that most maps and Dean, our our colleague and cartographer, uh, most maps have at least one error in them, so that you can tell if someone's copied your map. Ah, <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. Mm, so you, if you've got an old street directory quite often if you you would find somewhere along the line you might find that the the drawing is actually wrong for the reason then that if someone copies it they can say well we know you've copied it yeah they call it a a trap street a trap street Mm. it's a street that doesn't exist it's a trap for anyone who copies the map i think some gps systems work on that as well. I just had a GPS system that told you to turn about two metres before the intersection. Mm. It's very, very handy when you're doing 60 k's an hour. Well, there, I was in wrong lanes, for example. You know, it didn't give me enough of a way. It, it gave me something on the screen, but you've got to keep looking at the screen rather than relying on the, them giving that information. Still, David, you need to be thankful that it told you two metres before the intersection because if you're driving in China... Uh, it would tell you about 500 metres after the intersection. <laughs> what <Yes>. intersection? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Errol, you have a sartorial story to tell us. Yeah, well, David, if, if you picture a nanny, you might think of someone in their dressing gown and slippers. Well, now the nanny state is cracking down on just that very image of a nanny, or at least in Darlington, which is in northeast England, why? Well, apparently a lot of parents have been dropping their kids off at school in their PJs, nightgowns, even even wearing slippers. And, and the, par- the, yes, parents the parents. Said, yes, the parents. Yes, sorry, the kids are dressed, but the parents just haven't bothered. And apparently, and even worse, this is on the rise. So some parents have even come to assembly or uh, parent-teacher meetings in their PJs, apparently. <laughs> so one of the local schools has requested that all parents dress appropriately in day wear. Because it's about setting an example and having self-esteem. Parent-teacher meetings, pyjamas are quite appropriate because you usually fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you bring your children with you, but they're in a suit. There's that great Seinfeld line where he says, I've got flannel pyjamas, but they've got a collar and a breast pocket for my handkerchief. I mean, that's probably better dressed than most people, isn't it? That's true. Yes, Uh, comfortable too. I mean, I kind of get the point because slippers are up there with thongs as a very poor choice of footwear for driving a vehicle. But uh, but at least they cover your feet. You know, I mean, thongs are pretty scrappy. Uh, but you're dropping your kids off at, what, 9 o'clock or 8.30? You shouldn't be in your pyjamas at 8.30 in the morning or 9 o'clock. I do a lot of work at home, Brian. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't push me on this issue. 
I got an invitation the other day. It said business wear, so I thought I could go in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> is it aesthetics or is it safety? I, I don't know. The, the the other thing is, what if you've got pajamas with a whole pile of cartoon characters on? Uh, inappropriate or yeah, or silly. Well, that's that's another point too. For example, if you've if they don't want people to wear their pajamas. Maybe you don't want to have political slogans or you know gun bumper stickers or something. Mm. Yeah, where's where's the line? It's a slippery slope, isn't it, David? <laughs> the other thing is pajamas for men. The the front often doesn't close properly. Ah, oh, yes. Well, we 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 had the police come to the door late one night, and I answered them in my pajamas. And now that I look back on it, the policemen tend to look down and sort of. Then look away. I, I... Was he did smoking? You, uh, did did a... you feel a slight breeze, David? <laughs> a very small breeze. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, a story of theft. And this is clever thieves, David. Uh, bike thieves, they're, they're getting quite clever in the UK. Uh, uh, police have warned cyclists about a, a new um, sort of wrinkle in, uh, in bike theft where uh, thieves actually saw through uh, bike racks, those sort of inverted U hoop-style bike racks that you see. They cut right through them. They then cover the cut with gaffer tape. When people lock their bikes to what looks like a secure rack, uh, the thieves come back, uh, pull off the gaffer tape, pull open the, the rack and take the bike. So all cyclists beware. Now, there's an interesting thing that perhaps bike racks should be more works of art, that they are, these typical hoop is boring looking and, you know, it looks like a, a bus stop that is only there for bus. Maybe we make them into sculpture and so that they might have some shape to them. But the, the problem with that is you could never tell whether they've been tampered with as much, could you? Mm. That's true. Might make you more careful about how you lock it up. Maybe double check that it's working properly. There is that meme that goes around of a guy who uh, secured his bike to a pole, which was a fairly short pole. So all you had to do is just lift it <laughs> up. I'm <laughs> clear on the concept. Mm, so the, the moral of the story here is if you're locking your bike up to anything and there's tape around it, remove the tape. Uh, yes. Yes, well, yes. Good, good piece of advice. I, Remove the tape and, and not use the thing at all. Yeah. Mm. All right, gentlemen, uh, some handy hints and some interesting reflections. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you, David. No worries, no worries, David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking the unusual stories to do with transport here on Overdrive. And you can hear a longer chat between Brian Smith, Errol Smith and myself including more quirky stories, one about school parents being asked to stop wearing sleepwear when they deliver their children to school. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast the quirky news or the whole program at iTunes or your favourite podcast service.